you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast. It's that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And this month, we are talking about all new collector's edition number C58, Superman versus Shazam. And when you were talking about a book this titanic, this big, this earth, multiple earth shaking, I realized you couldn't just have one guest to talk about. So we have two titanic guests to talk about this really fun comic book, making his return to Treasure Cast after many years, Dr. Ange. Hi, Ange. Hey, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to talking about this book. Absolutely. And making his debut on Treasury Cast, frequent guest of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Scott X. Hi, Scott. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Going great. Thanks for being here, Scott. Uh, you know, you were the one who suggested this book. Now, before we get to the comic aggression, I do want to ask you, just that Andrew's been on the show before, so we know kind of his history with the Treasury form, but we don't know yours. What is your history with this, with Treasury comics, Scott? Did you have them? Do you have them now? What's going on? My history with Treasury comics is pretty much I saw them in house ads and wanted them very badly as a kid, and I never, ever saw one. I never saw one in, in, the, in the wild. Um, so for me, the first one I ever got was at a garage sale probably in the mid-1980s, and it was the Super Friends Treasury. Mm. So mm. I start. read and read and read and reread that. And just I loved the format, but I never saw them until many years later um, going to comic book specialty stores, and I finally found them. And so then I picked up, as I could, all the Treasury casts that I wanted as a kid that I saw in those wonderful house hats. Cool. Now, so when you were a kid, you were buying comics off of newsstands and stuff like that. And yes. just like they... Nobody ever had them? You Nobody just... carried them that I wow. saw. Wow. Oh, that's a shame. Jeez. Okay. Because I... I was deprived, Rob. I was a okay. deprived child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry. I'm glad you were able to fill that that hole in your soul yes, by picking yes, some of them exactly. up later, later on in the 80s. All right. So so which what are some of the ones you have now? Um, I have uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. All I have right. a lot of Superman ones. I'm a, I'm a Superman guy. So I have those. I have Batman versus the Hulk, Superman versus... The Amazing Spider-Man, oh. Superman versus Wonder Woman. What there was the one, the, the Fortress of Solitude. That Superman and his incredible fortress. In of Fortress Solitude, of Solitude, yeah. I have that one. I of course have the Alex Ross character-driven ones, which I know you talked with Ange about the Power of yep. Hope, the Shazam one, which yep. was fantastic. I have all those. I have the, the well, I guess all the Alex Ross ones, um, oh, nice. and then and the Legion of Superheroes. I have that one. Okay, that's that's a bunch of big ticket ones, man. Yeah. Like that, that's all the big stuff. So that's really cool. I'm glad you were able to get them before the prices went completely insane because now they're skyrocketing. You can't get Absolutely. them for anything less than like a hundred dollars. Especially Superman versus Shazam. Uh, excuse me, Superman versus Spider Man. You can't get that in anywhere decent shape for less than like a hundred dollars at this point. Yeah, they're they're people love them and rightfully so. That's, Absolutely, I hear there's a whole podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> love them so much. I'm doing a show after show for years about this particular format. So, <laughs> why did you want to talk about Superman versus Shazam? 
Superman was always my favorite character, always has been, still is. But also, I think um, Captain Marvel was always one of my favorites, too, from the early on in the 1970s. I remember watching the live action TV show. And that was probably the first that and um, Isis were the first live action superhero shows that I ever watched. So that was early on in my love of the superhero genre. Um, and my dad, growing up, was a big lover of Captain Marvel as well. So I think that that rubbed off on me a little bit. There you go. Now, Ange, I think it's by pure accident that your your two appearances here on the show both involve Captain Marvel. Uh, are you a particular fan of Shazam slash Captain Marvel, or did it just sort of just worked out that way? Well, you forget that I was on the King Kong episode as well. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's right. I forgot about that. Um, so but I will the tell- third appearance on Treasure Yeah, I, but I will tell you that um, I grew up with the Captain Marvel live action television show, Billy. You have to go to the canyon. Um, and, uh, and of course, whenever I ran across him in comics, um, uh, I always thought things were pretty cool. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan, I have to say. Um, I would say the, the time that I enjoyed the comic the most, believe it or not, was the, um, Don Newton stories in the dollar comics and world's finest. Those I thought were really superior. That's good um, stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then I think recently it seems kind of hit or miss with Shazam, although I will say that anything that Doc Shaner has done with him has been worth it. Uh, and the Grant Morrison, Thunderworld, uh, Millennium uh, one was was quite excellent. I am new to this story, believe it or not. I just uh, read this for the first time, I would say, probably like three or four years ago. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know. Yeah. I figured since Supergirl plays such a prominent role that this you would yeah. have checked this off before now. I got to tell you, the treasury, this is one of those treasuries that I have like never seen in the wild. And, and I'll tell you, it's funny. It's, it's more of a Mary Marvel and Supergirl story. Maybe I'm biased, uh, than a Superman Shazam. It is. It absolutely uh, is. Uh, and, uh, and so this was one of those things where, um, I had built up some accrued credit at the comic book store. There was the Superman versus Shazam trade. And that's how I've read the story. I, um, I haven't seen it in its full size glory. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. All right. This that's <laughs> yeah. This is like I said. Well, as we go through the stops, I this is really more of uh, a Mary Marvel Supergirl story. So it's perfect again that uh, that you're on this, and of course, this features another character that is uh, beloved to you for some reason, and we'll get into that in a moment. So <laughs> the uh, the story is called When Earths Collide. It is by Jerry Conway, who was kind of the go to guy. For a lot of these big ticket Superman stories, he wrote Superman versus uh, Spider-Man. He wrote Superman versus Wonder Woman. Uh, and the art is by Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano. It was on sale February 28th, 1978. Uh, again, before we get to the plot synopsis, let's talk about the cover a little bit. We'll see this, I guess, of course, on the gallery post on the website, finewaterpodcast.com. It's by uh, Buckler and Giordano. And this, um, it's rare in that this is not a wraparound cover. This has got a front image and a back image, and the back image has got the villain Carmang with his awesome eyeball epaulette things that he's rocking there. Don't, and don't forget the eyeball earrings. The eyeball earrings too. Yeah. If, if you're going to accessorize, you got to go all the way out with your I eyeball love it. accessories. So. He, yeah. If they ever did another Marvel DC team up, he'd have to team up with the Orb just so they could have the giant <laughs> eyeballs together. The Emerald uh, Eye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but here we've got Carmang basically watching the front cover. On his monitor screen, which is a very clever uh, time saver, uh, courtesy of Rich Buckler. Very clever, Mr. Buckler. Um, and to start with you, what did you think of uh, the front cover and then the back cover? 
Well, I think that, you know, you're looking for it's Superman versus Shazam, so there better be a good shot of them fighting. It's kind of weird, like the positions of the punches are a little bit awkward, but I think yeah. that's because they really wanted to show the the you know the majority of the front of the costume. But yeah. the big draw for me is that this is not just those two, it's Mary and Supergirl as well. You know, you're gonna get a full story here with like the super cousins and the sisters. Uh so I I actually think it's pretty good. I like Rich Buckler a lot. So so I think this works. The two Earths are in the background. Um, has a good feel. The back cover, I think, is like Carmang is weird. So, <laughs> so, so I think this back cover is like a little bit hysterical. But uh, uh, but I really like it. <laughs> Scott, what about you? Yeah, no, I think the same thing. The scope. The scope has to be big. It's a treasury size edition, obviously. So the scope is big, and the scope of the cover is big. We see the world's literally working on colliding here, which is something that is part of the story itself. And of course, we have our primary heroes here. And and as Anne said um, earlier on, and, and we'll talk about this, but Mary Marvel and Supergirl play a huge role in this story and really, really are central to the plot, although they get a little bit pushed off to the side here in the cover. Um, but I but I also like how he balanced it out, just sort of how the, the characters are actually arranged on the cover as well. Um, and the, the way the angular kind of formation of the earths i like too um and of course we have to have on the front the a 72 page super action novel when <laughs> worlds collide because superman fighting um captain marvel is not enough apparently on the cover we have to shout it out too and of course the back cover we see uh carmang who as ann said i i just i don't get the eyeball motif but they are central to his costume. The, the costume's just sort of a, a strange combination of a lot of things. And he's watching um, all the action happening on his various view screens, which which is a really well-rendered image. It's just, like I said, the costume's a little bit weird for me. He's got that Diamond Lane imagery on his chest. So yes. it's like he's only for carpooling or well, whatever. Well, and is. when you look at it, because of the eyeball uh, cape clasp and then the diamonds underneath looks like some weird frog or something <laughs> is going on on his, on his chest there with those diamond things i don't know <laughs> uh yeah these these covers where you have two marquee characters fighting off against each other it always seemed to bedevil the cover artist because obviously they want both heroes represented and famously in the batman versus hulk treasury which we covered with ryan daly a couple of years ago uh in the inside back cover they actually show you the notes that uh, jose luis garcia lopez praise be his name praise went his name. yeah went through from the editors because both companies were like well batman's not prominent enough the hulk's not prominent enough and once you've done the cover uh that they did on superman versus wonder woman where they're just heading you know left to the right towards each other you have to come up with another cover format and that's hard so, yeah, you're right. It's As Ange pointed out, you have to kind of see both costumes. So it's sort of awkward that they're kind of punching each other, but they're actually both facing the camera a little, uh, which is weird. And I know they were never going to do this because they wanted to have the logo of Superman Shazam. But it would have been fun if they did Superman family versus the Shazam family. Like, just put those logos up because it does feature, again, these ancillary characters a little bit. That would have been kind of like a big Donnybrook. Let's get everybody. Let's get crypto. Let's get. Get Hoppy the Marble Bunny. Let's get everybody. Let's face them off. Uh, but yes, Carmang, uh, by the way, we'll mention everybody. This is Carmang's, uh, only appearance in a comic book. And, uh, again, we'll see what happens to him at the end of the story. So anyway, let's get to the plot synopsis. As I mentioned, the story is called When Earths Collide. It starts out on Mars 
And there's a being known as Carmang the Evil. He hatches an evil plot that involves using his vast powers to summon the supervillains Black Adam and Quarmer, a.k.a. Sand Superman, to his lair. He tells them both that they will be his unwilling assistants in destroying Earth-1 and Earth-S. In Metropolis, Superman is taking care of yet another hapless costume villain. While he is hosting WGBS TV News as Clark Kent, the building starts to rumble. Sneaking off as Superman, the Man of Steel is shocked to see the cause of the tumult is Captain Marvel. Superman tries to question his friend, but is met by Marvel punching Superman through the sky. Not wanting to battle, not wanting the battle to get out of control, Superman summons his cousin Supergirl to help. Before she can get there, however, Marvel hits Superman with something called a judgment ray. Now, Marvel, who's actually Black Adam in magical disguise, takes off. Supergirl finds Superman, who is now in a blind rage and wants revenge on Captain Marvel. As Superman flies off, Supergirl warns. Meanwhile, back at Castle Carmang, we learn why he is on this quest to destroy the two worlds. Turns out thousands of years ago, Carmang thought he had discovered a way to become immortal, using science pushed to its limits into sorcery. Other Martians tried to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't listen and his experiments led to the destruction of their entire community. Except, the ghosts of the dead still linger and are haunting Carmang and blaming him for their death. On Earth-S, Captain and Mary Marvel help repair a damaged bridge and save some lives. In the form of Billy Batson, Marvel sees Superman in the sky. He tries to find the Man of Steel, only to be met by a savage Superman, who attacks him in the midst of battle. This Superman, actually Quarmer, hits Marvel with the same rage-inducing ray and flies off. Like Supergirl, Mary Marvel is confused and scared at this new, uncontrollably angry world's mightiest mortal. Back on Earth, we learn the rest of Carmang's plans. He needs vast amounts of energy to release the haunting ghosts from their captivity, energy that will be created by the power of two Earths colliding. He had Black Adam and former install machines on each planet, which will force the two worlds to collide. But he booby-trapped those machines, so if anyone tries to disarm them, they will alter the magnetic field of the planets, causing untold destruction. Superman and Captain Marvel finally square off above Metropolis. Their battle is furious and destructive, maybe like Zack Snyder, despite Mary Marvel's efforts to calm her brother down. Uh, she then meets Supergirl, and they explain to each other who the likely imposters are, Black Adam and former. The two women split up with Supergirl heading for Egypt to try and find Black Adam and Mary Marvel trying to find Quarmer. The Maid of Might defeats Black Adam, but Quarmer does not fight Mary Marvel. He tells her that he was forced by Carmank to take part in this evil scheme and as a moral being is now willing to help them defeat the eyeball bejeweled Carmank. As the battle between Superman and Captain Marvel rages on, Supergirl and Mary Marvel head to Mars to find Carmang. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to laugh. We got to. I got to pause here for a second. Let me start as the battle between Superman again. I, every time, I can't stop but picturing that Carmang and those freaking eyeballs hanging off his ears. I'm leaving all this in, Scott. This is all staying okay. Good, great. That, that's just fine. <laughs> as the battle between Superman and Captain Marvel rages on, Supergirl and Mary Marvel had had head to Mars to find Carmang. They see he is so in love with his own plan, he has become almost entranced as he watches Superman and Captain Marvel fight to the death. Supergirl determines that they must somehow keep their relatives fighting a little longer. And while Carmang remains entranced, they will have the opportunity to put an end to him and his plans. Mary asks the wizard, sh with the wizard Shazam to step in. 
Shazam in turn appears to Captain Marvel and cryptically tells him to prolong the fight. Marvel, though confused, does what he's told. As Supergirl and Mary Marvel take flight, take the fight directly to Carmang, Superman and, Mar- and Marvel's fight gets out of control. Superman lends a punch so powerful, Captain Marvel, the world's mightiest mortal, is knocked unconscious. Superman, feeling he has kill- fearing he has killed his fellow superhero, is roused from his rage stupor. The wizard Shazam appears again, this time to the confused Superman. He assures the Man of Steel that Captain Marvel yet lives, and goes on to explain to Superman what is really going on. Superman and the revived Captain Marvel find Carmang's planet attracting machine on Earth-1, but know what will happen if they touch it. Superman comes up with a new plan. He will fly around and around the planet at such a great speed. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Anybody? Anyone? (laughs) Anyway, he will fly around and around the planet at such great speed that he will bolster the entire planet's magnetic field, allowing Marvel, using the strength granted to him by Hercules, to destroy Carmang's machine. Using all their might, together, they accomplish their mission. Meanwhile, Mary Marvel is zapped by Carmang and knocked out. But Supergirl hits a self-destruct button and then grabs the unconscious Mary Marvel, flying off, causing Carmang's castle to explode. Back on Earth-1, the heroes commiserate, and Mary Marvel takes this opportunity to flirt with Superman heavily, leaving the man still acting like a flustered 12-year-old boy. As revenge, Supergirl puts the moves on Captain Marvel, equally flustered. Mary then steps in to protect her younger brother, and then realizing how stupid she just looked. Our four heroes have a laugh. Not laughing is Carmang, who we see is now trapped in the same limbo as the ghosts who have been haunting him. Trapped forever. All right. Wow. That <laughs> I tried to condense the story as much as possible. And he said, I even then still had to leave stuff out. So we're going to go through this kind of chunk by chunk as the story is too big. The, let's talk about the initial part here where you've got Carmang. He explains his plan. And he calls the two villains, Black Adam and Quarmer. Now, Black Adam makes total sense. You know, definitely one of Captain Marvel's main villains. I always loved him. I, to the whole movie, I don't know. We'll find out. But Black Adam, total good draw on 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 Carmack's part. Quarmer, though, that's a deep cut, courtesy of Jerry Conway. Now, Ange, Quarmer has been your Twitter avatar as long as I've known you. Why? <laughs> Well, like no judgment many, in that question, but I yeah, am sure. Yeah. I will tell you, like many people who I've heard on many different comic podcasts, those uh, 30s to 70s hardcover were like a major part of like growing up, you know, Batman 30s to the 70s, Superman 30s to the 70s, and Superman 233 which is like almost the first appearance of the Sand Superman, uh, or is, you know, he has a cameo at the very end, um, is part of that book. So, you know, you've heard Chris Franklin say, you know, he thought Mambat was a huge deal because <laughs> Mambat was in Batman 30s to 70s, right? And so, you know, as a kid, I'm reading this, uh, you know, issue 233, and it ends with this, like, sand indentation of Superman, like, rising up and this, like half form sand Superman, you know, stumbles off. The end is something like, you know, and, you know, it stumbles off for a, like a fate unknown. And then that's it. Like, you know, I think that was the first part of a six part story back then. But as a kid, I only had that one part. And there is a panel that I will tell you in, in that book that says it is a thing created from soil and rock cast in the mold of Superman. Uh, and, uh, and that, 
caption as part of my avatar. Now, I was in a very toxic relationship when I joined Twitter and, and had to choose avatars. But one of the, the way, but one of the things about that was like, you know, hey, I'm trying to be Superman. Like, I'm trying to like carry forward the ethics and uh, of Superman and, and be inspired by him. But, you know, I'm just a, a thing cast in the mold of Superman. I am not Superman. And so as a result, I've always kind of felt like Warmer a little bit, you know, like I'm just trying to be Superman. And of course, in that storyline, what I find very interesting is that, of course, Cormor is absorbing Superman's powers. And at the end, leaves, right? He's like, I've absorbed a third of your power. And at the end of that storyline, Superman has two thirds of his power. This was a way that Denny O'Neill was trying to depower Superman. But one of the things that Cormor says in that story is like, not only have I absorbed your power, I've sort of absorbed your morals and your like upstanding good nature, which is why in this story, I love it when he says... Hey, like I went along with Carmang for a little bit of time because I had to like delay things, but like I'm a moral being. I don't want to have anything to do with this and I'm going to help you guys, right? Because he kind of has become a little bit like Superman. So this is like, this is why the Superman versus Shazam story is like, it's a Supergirl story, like Cormor's all over the place. <laughs> it's, it's like, I almost feel like it was written for me. <laughs> it's a nice turn, you know, because you're not expecting it. Uh, and and I don't again I don't even mean to be critical of Jerry Conway using Cormer as the villain because Superman doesn't I mean, I mean this has been established uh, well not established this has been opined on for many a decade Superman doesn't have the deepest bench when it comes to villains really to use and it's kind of great that it's not Luthor because Luthor already appeared in one of these books and you know then there's like Brainiac and then you're like what the Toy Man like I mean he's got a Maybe Bizarro or something. I mean, actually, you you could have imagined Bizarro being a good tool for Carmang if he just wants a puppet. Uh, but you know, nevertheless, I thought it was a it was a fun deep draw to use Quarmer. Um, what? By the way, I don't know the history. Why is he named Quarmer? Why? Like, what I, is that? That's just his he, name. He comes from the dimension Quarm, so okay. he is. He, okay, they call him Quarmer. Right? All right. Fair enough. Very very enough. literal. Very literal. Yeah. We don't know everybody else from that dimension. Uh, we don't know what their names are, but apparently they they have to be a little more diverse, perhaps. Yeah. So, I would also okay. add that 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 Cormer would have been a familiar character to people reading comics at this time, Superman comics too. Right. At the time this came out, that those issues were not very old at that point either. Right. This is seventy eight, and those issues yeah. were like seventy four. Yeah. Seventy three. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the, I love, I mean, after we get the initial chapter with Carmang or explains his plot, we have this action sequence with chapter one, Superman. Hey, Rob, and, can I add, yeah. can I add one thing really oh, quick? Of course, you, know, you, of you, you mentioned Black Adam. Yeah. It's, it probably needs to be noted. This is the third all time appearance of Black Adam. This is only oh, really? Black Adam's third all time appearance. He, he first appeared in Marvel Family number one, 1945, um, in Shazam. 1973 series number 28 and then this one was the really? third all-time appearance of black adam yeah that's i so, so I, again you talk about different characters that were not as familiar black adam for what we think of him now you know he's everywhere as as captain marvel's sort of antagonist but huh. but then he hadn't appeared from 1945 until 1977 there was a 30 plus year gap and then he came here in 1978 I did not know that. I knew that he didn't have as many appearances as now, as you would think now, because Jeff Johns turned him into this big thing. And of course he's going to have his own movie 
yeah. which is actually going to be out around the same time as this episode. So, but I didn't know it was that yeah. he and, was that limited. And, wow. and to add to that, I looked at Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and according to that, he only had seven appearances prior to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. His eighth and ninth appearances were in Crisis on Infinite Earths, so he only had like nine total appearances up to the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Wow. Okay. Uh, All right. Former had four more issues than Black Adam. At yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Take that. So who's the obscure character here? Come on. <laughs> it's former. The switcheroo on me here. Black okay. Adam. We we're yeah, looking, hey. Ange, Ange, we're looking for you to be involved in the Quarmer movie coming out yeah. soon to a theater near you. You know what? They can just uh, copy those Sandman effects from the Spider-Man movies. They've got yeah, that down. Go. They go, go across the street over to Marvel. That's amazing. That is, I, that is, that is a stunning piece of information. So, okay. So again, we have the Superman chapter where he fights this sort of uh, no named, uh, kind of podunk villain who is, uh, trying to destroy uh, this building trying to rob this building and Superman gets involved. He actually bursts out on like a rocket thing to send him into the <laughs> space. There's this great moment where he realizes he's frozen a minute or that's because Superman has caught him. I love that. There's a kind of um slightly lampshady moment where this guy says, I never should have come to this crummy bird, but Batman protects Gotham city. The flash speeds around central city flash wings it in midway city. It's getting so crooked. Crooks are running out of cities to rob. Uh, I love that idea that there's a villain like, yeah, why did I pick Metropolis? Yeah. Why, like why did he? Why did he head to like Albuquerque or something? Yeah. Instead, he goes, oh, all these other cities that have heroes. So I'm going to go to Superman City because <laughs> I'm sure that will be more ripe for the picking. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a fun little bit. And as drawn by Rich Buckler, uh, I mean, Rich Buckler was a great artist for these kinds of books. Superhero, you know, just super power action kinds of stories he was great at drawing people using their superpowers he was great at machinery i love this kind of like bug-like creature that the guy is floating in again this guy just gets what he's in three pages and then that's it he's like never seen again unless some villain some writer used him again or something actually when i think about it now this loser only has two less appearances than black adam so really <laughs> not even really that bad when it come to think of it um, I don't, yeah, I don't know how he survives. He takes like a right cross from Superman. He's just a guy. Like, yeah. He's probably a red <laughs> somewhere. So yeah, we don't see Superman retrieve him out of the sky because he knocks the guy into. Yeah, he probably shot him all the way to Gotham City at this point. Uh, and then we have the sequence at WGBS. Now, I want to ask you both your opinions. What is your view of the WGBS era of Superman? Because of course, it seems like the last job a superhero with a civilian identity would want would be a, a TV news anchor. Uh, I mean, what, you know, how does that work for you guys? Scott, do you, what do you think about this, this, this part of Clark Kent's career? Well, it, it, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I guess in the seventies, again, they're trying to modernize the character and bring him up into the TV era. You know, people, even then, I guess in the seventies, people weren't reading newspapers. Not we, we encounter that today, certainly, but that was going down. So I guess from that standpoint, I understand it. But I think even in this story, Clark Kent says something like, well, yeah, boy, this is going to make it a lot harder for me to get away, but it'll work out. It always does. <laughs> and I guess that's sort of what it boils down to is it's, you know, hey, kids, comics. So we'll, we'll figure it out. But but I totally agree. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because as a reporter, you sort of don't have a schedule as a as a TV anchor, you're sort of on a schedule. Well, I hope Luther doesn't attack at 6 p.m. because I'll be doing the <laughs> nightly news you know, or whatever. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that that would be a great alter ego for a superhero. Whoever the yeah. weekend host is, he fills in a lot for Clark Kent. Yeah. He's always getting called in. So, uh, Andrew, what do you think about the Clark Kent newsman? 
Yeah, you know, that change was introduced in the same issue where Cormer is introduced. This was Denny O'Neill doing his best <laughs> to try to, no, this was That's Denny a big like, issue. If you think about Denny O'Neill, right, like he, he updates Batman, he does the white suit Wonder Woman, and he tries to update Superman all within like a period of like three years. It's really crazy. They gave him the keys to the kingdom. And I think if you read those early issues, it was, you're going to have a mobile news van. You're going to drive to where the action is, right? So I think that makes way more sense. Like you are a mobile, like, you know, uh, reporter that will be on scene um, than when he becomes the six o'clock news anchor with Atlanta. It's like, why are all the banks being robbed at 6 p.m. in Metropolis? Right? You know, <laughs> Superman is never around. Um, well, so the, the I, I, yeah. The, the funny, th- the funny thing there too is in here, what you like, just what you said, Ange, he is sort of out in the field too. In in this story, he's like, yeah. a, you know, a, you know, he's out in the field, he's behind the news desk, he's doing all of it, and there's never a cameraman. He's always like setting up his own <laughs> camera and then doing all this crazy stuff. So, so it's all he's like all of it, all in one too. <laughs> so, uh, the building starts to rumble. Superman goes outside and he sees that it's Captain Marvel, and that's where the fight begins. And again, this is right in Rich Buckler's wheelhouse. Two muscly guys in costumes just beating the paste out of each other. Um, we've talked about in other episodes that Jim Aparo was so great at that. Neil Adams was great at that, that when someone threw a punch, you really felt like it had nuclear force behind it. And Buckler was good at that too. They really, uh, Captain Marvel and Superman are really pounding the pace out of each other and you really feel it. And I like that Superman has that moment where he's like, look, this guy is at my level. This is going to get out of control very quickly. So let's, let's turn it down a notch. Let me call in some help. Namely, my cousin Kara, and he uses super ventriloquism, which I don't understand how this is super ventriloquism because it seems like it's it's no one else can hear it. Kara can hear it. Now, of course, she's got super hearing, but like, how does super ventriloquism work over hundreds of miles? Uh, but it's okay, super Rob. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because comics. That's fine. Yeah, um, we catch Kara uh, cooking at home. She's making veal marsala. Um, that's a little detail that Jerry Conway threw in. You shouldn't make everybody. You shouldn't eat veal. You shouldn't eat veal, even if I, I'm a vegetarian. I know I don't need any meat, but especially don't eat veal. It's just kind of cruel. But anyway, uh, Kara gets the message, and there's this panel where she strips off her shirt, and she's still got her brown wig on, and then she flies off. And I wanted to mention this to you specifically, Ange. The panel where she's flying out of her house, yeah, and it says for she is Supergirl, and she's got her hand out like that. That to me should have been on Supergirl merchandise. It is such a great pose. I mean, to yeah. me, that is like, and that's kind of why you get Rich Buckler. He delivers these kinds of cinematic, like that should have been a Supergirl t-shirt. It's such a great shot of her. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder if that particular shot is why they had him draw the cover of Daring New Adventures of Supergirl number one, which has become oh, right. a similar pose and it is very much, um, similar, um, similar to this and has become sort of an iconic take on Supergirl. Yeah. It's a great shot. It's an absolutely great shot. Now, at what point, where was, do you know, where was Supergirl in her? Like, she's got a, she's got this house. It's a big house. Like what, what, what was she doing at this point that, that again, in her continuity, where was she? Cause I mean, she yeah. obviously she's, she was all over the place. Like every couple of years she was, they would, you know, some new take on the character. 
Exactly. So she's probably appearing um, based upon her job um, in the Superman family comic. Um, and, you know, she had her own short-lived series in like 1972 where she was um, in college for acting and then was moved to Superman family where she became a guidance counselor at this like progressive school. And, um, and so that's where she is when they say like she's in new, the new Athens experimental school. So she's headlining, um, or one of the features in the new dollar comic size super, um, uh, Superman family stuff. So acting and guidance counseling are definitely both careers that help you end up with a giant house like that. Yo, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe she crushed, <laughs> she crushed some coal into diamonds. She's, well, she's, <laughs> Yeah, she's got a good she's got a good contract. They're providing housing for her on campus there, perhaps. <laughs> that is one giant house. She's got a backyard too with a nice yeah, in a area. Nice there. house. I got yeah, streaky love streaky isn't going to escape you know in, in disguise with the fencing there. Um so so she shows up um just in time to watch uh Superman now who's been blasted with the judgment ray, by the way. That's a great name. And I love they even color his cheeks a little mad where he's so mad and he's like, I'll make him pay. He'll pay. I'll, I'll kill him. And there's this great shot again by Rich Buckland, Giordano of Supergirl just looking terrified. That's a great panel because you're like, yeah, what are we going to do if Superman is out of control? Like, what, 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 what can any of the, this is pre Bat God who has a million plans already in place to take down Superman. I don't know what you do if, if Superman is uh, enraged. So that, that's just a great shot. He he drew that face in a million comics. Like, he probably used this panel and statted it for, like, Black Canary comics and stuff. Any other blonde character. But nevertheless, it still looks great. Well, yeah. The- yeah. The whole page, the whole page is great. I I just love how it's laid out too. And you know, like you said, Buckley really has an idea for laying out the panels, not to mention the action within the panels that totally fit this format. As I'm looking at it in the larger size, it it fits the format so well. And I think, like you said, that panel, sort of of, of the the close up on Supergirl's face, just the panel and the size of the panel lends to the 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 emotion behind it too. Yeah, and, and the the shot of Superman, as you say, with like the flushed cheeks. He looks almost brutish in that, yeah, right? Like yes. he almost looks like even bigger than he normally does, which I think kind of lends to that, like, oh, he's like hulking out or something, a little bit out of control. <laughs> uh, so we get a little bit with Carmang. We see the plot why he he tried to he tried to turn immortal, and of course, you know, he he tampered in God's domain, and that ended up blowing up uh, literally in his face, and it kills everybody on his planet except there are all these ghosts that are haunting him forever. We do see some other members of his race, and we notice they do not accessorize with the eyeballs. No, so they do not. That's they, specific to Carmen. This, this is something the... very, very, very heartfelt and, and germane to him and his character. I, I, well, I did find it interesting that I found this a little bit reminiscent of Pariah's story in Crisis on Infinite Earths, where mm. he sort of was, was this scientist who was trying to gain immortality, and all of a sudden, he killed everybody else. He's the last one remaining. The other thing was he was centered on Mars. And he, he makes this, there's this comment sort of from the narration that this was a civilization on Mars that predated the Martians that we know with John Johns and the, and the uh, you know, the Martian Manhunter. And, and so he's sort of, he's a white colored guy. So it made me wonder, he's a white Martian, right? Maybe, so yeah. was was there some connection? There might have been something interesting at some point to follow up. Not that I think we need again the eyeball bejeweled Carmang and a whole <laughs> bunch of stories, but it might have been something interesting to follow up with in some sort of a Martian Manhunter story. Maybe he has a little. I think with the eyeball accessory, he's got a little Doctor Vibes, Doctor Vibes kind of vibe. 
yes. him a little <laughs> yeah. bit, you know? Just yeah. ever, ever so and, slightly. And he, and he does live in a very gothic castle. Right, you know, from, exactly. From millenniums old, millennium old, you know, this is a very gothic House of Dracula Dracula-ish castle. So Castle Carmang, absolutely. He's got a lot going on here. Yes, Castle Carmang, which castle is, of Carmang. course, you always name your castle after yourself. That's right. Carmang the Evil. <laughs> You when know. I get mine, it's going to be Castle Rob. That's absolutely what I'm going to <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds very Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and then we have the next chapter where we basically flip the script and we see uh, we get some moments of Shazam and or excuse me, Captain Marvel. He's Shazam now, but Captain yes, Marvel, Captain Marvel, exactly. Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, and Mary Marvel fixing this bridge that has collapsed. Uh, this bridge breaks and they have to stuff. They have to fill the cracks in it, and Captain Marvel decides to use some of the broken cars. To fill the gap. I don't, again, the science of that seems a little dubious to me, but again, you know, it's okay. It's comics. Mary Marvel uh, shows up and then he turns back into Billy Batson. He goes on a date with a young girl. Now, Billy Batson is supposed to be like 12, right? 13? He's supposed you, to be like, okay. that young? I had a question about this because in here it says, it says that Mary Marvel is Billy's twin, right? Mary is Billy's twin. It's not just his sister. It's his twin. So Mary Marvel is driving a car across this bridge. <laughs> So even and then later it says she's a teenager. So at, at the very least, I guess she's got to be like 16. So I, I actually was trying to figure that out, too. So I guess Billy could be on a date at maybe 16 um, with with what's her, whatever her name was. I can't remember now. The cute redheaded girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, sissy. 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 Yes, sissy. Yeah. And they go to like get malteds. Yeah. So, Malt, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> super. Now, it's always funny to watch artists try to replicate the C.C. Beck dot eyes, little orphan anything. Yeah. That Billy Batson's going on, and Rich Buckler, style-wise, is about as far away from C.C. Beck as humanly possible. Uh, but he does a pretty decent job of kind of replicating that sort of look. Yeah. Uh, you know, the sort of innocent kind of look. And then he sees Superman running in the sky, and he goes and he takes off. And, of course, then we see the uh, the Cormor Superman is finding this machine that's buried, and that's going to help control the Earth. And then Superman and Captain Marvel. Superman and this Captain Marvel face off it turns into yet another gigantic fight where we have a bunch of pages or rich buckler just gets to uh you know let it rip where there are these guys are just punching each other i love his panel borders uh, a lot of his panels have these jagged edges to them they're not just squares or circles and it gives the whole thing a kind of like you know sort of excuse me the, using this word again jagged kind of energy to it there's a panel where captain marvel punches superman and the sound effect is literally socko <laughs> which uh, I thought was fun. Um, <laughs> Superman hits Captain Marvel with the, uh, the the Judgment Ray again. That blinds him, and then we get the again the duplicate of the same scene where Captain Marvel returns, and he's got that same kind of red mark on his face, which almost makes me think it's like almost like a sunburn. Like when he gets hit with the Judgment Ray, it's like makes him sunburn, and he gets super mad, and he basically tells Mary Marvel like Leave me alone, and he takes off, and again we left with are the distaff version of these characters like wait what is going on so great setup right great beginning we've got okay we've got mad superman we've got mad captain marvel and now we're going to get to the the interlude here with castle carmang which has this wonderful double page spread of carmang explaining what will happen with these earths when they collide and you know I'm repeating myself here but richard rich buckler perfect for this kind of stuff widescreen visuals this is the Irwin Allen of superhero comics. It's just big screen mayhem. And that's what Irwin Allen delivered in his movies in the seventies, like earthquake and towering inferno and the Poseidon adventure. This is that, this is what they're trying to replicate. And 
as Earth smashing goes, it's a pretty good plan. And it's not that far off from what the anti-monitor would try to do just a couple of years later. Yeah. I, I have to go back, Rob, to your Socko panel. Because <laughs> the first thing that jumped out at me, that's almost exactly like that Batman slapping Robin <laughs> panel. When you look at it, it's almost exactly the same. It's like <laughs> Captain Marvel punching Superman. So I sort of got a kick out of that, too, as I looked at it. The other thing I wanted to mention, we talked about Billy's age, kind of not to jump backward too far. But that was also the difference in this version of Captain Marvel was not he was not the same as the Billy's mind in the adult body in the, in the golden age or the previous Billy and Captain Marvel were two separate entities. Okay. They sort of exchange places and Billy sort of says that he says, um, Billy and Cassie Summerlee have a date or sissy Summerlee have a date. He refers to Billy as a separate person, not I have a date. He says, Billy does. And kind of the same thing. So that obviously changed after the crisis. And then I, I also, when you were talking about the red face stuff, that he kind of had that from the ray, like he was sunburned too. And then I kind of got the effect. They, they kept it throughout the thing, almost like they were bruises or something too, mm-hmm. during the fight that they were getting punched on. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a terrific, uh, it's a terrific sequence. And, I mean, I haven't read that many Captain Marvel comics and, and maybe I just don't remember when Bill, when Billy turns into Captain Marvel, as you established, he's another person. He's not Captain Marvel is not Billy in a human, in an adult body. Right. Does Billy remember what happened to Captain Marvel? Like, does he have memories of the adventures or? I think, I think that's how it works. There, there was a, there was a story and I read once and it was almost, I don't know. I, I was sort of like quantum leapish where I felt like Billy was like in some waiting room. Kind of, and they would exchange, <laughs> they would exchange positions, sort of. And I think they did have, they did share those memories, though, too. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's looked, you know, um, obviously Alan Moore's Miracle Man is a close, like, mm-hmm. you know, look at this sort of thing, you know, uh, where, you know, he, the, the kid Miracle Man, you know, entity stayed. Uh, and meanwhile, so like, whatever, 50 years later, he's an adult and, he finally gets, you know, has to say the word, and then this kid comes back. So it it, it was a, a swapping. Um, Komoda! Yeah. Uh, that was, boy, that was a great book. I haven't read that in 35 years, but that was a great book. So uh, then we get this Marvel Chapter 3, This mar- another marvelous double page, no pun intended, marvelous page spread of Superman and Captain Marvel, and they're, like, yelling at each other, Captain Marvel! Superman! And poor Mary Marvel is like, oh, my, what is going to happen here? They start beating the living crap out of each other. There's a giant hunk of rock hits uh, Steve Lombard in the head, uh, which is great. Yeah, which, yeah, what a shame. Um, (laughs) Lois Lane is there again, looking, watching all this. What is going on? There is a, um, I think it's a, I think it's on purpose. A Rich Buckler gloss on that Neil Adams Superman pose with the chest out when he gets the, Captain Marvel throws the brick wall yeah. at him and it just bounces off him and it breaks out. He's like, what a laugh. <laughs> and again, that's, that was the cover to Superman 233 where Cormer first Cormor. appeared. Yeah, go. that's right. Breaking yeah. the kryptonite chain. Chains. Now yeah. it's flipped, right? So uh, very classic. <laughs> so the fight continues. Mary Marvel is wondering what is going on. And then a hand reaches out and we see it is Supergirl. And of course they're initially like, she's like, Supergirl, wait a minute. What, you know, and they have to explain to each other you know, who they are, because they, I guess they haven't met to this point. Um, because, uh, yeah. Mary Marvel says, Supergirl, I've read about you. And then they said, and I love that, uh, in kind of opposite of what you would expect from these stories, instead of these two women fighting initially for some reason, they literally sit down and talk it out. 
and I just, I love that. I love that these two are like, okay, let's be calm. And it's literally them just sitting like on a rooftop, catching up. Imagine them while these two guys are just knocking buildings over. And yeah. stuff. I, I just found that very almost inadvertently funny of them. Just like, you know, they're not in a coffee shop drinking coffee together, but they might as well be. It's such a calm considering the last 20 pages of nothing, but bah, destroy blow up. Blah, blah, blah. And then these two are like, okay, let's just, let's just talk this out. I just, I love that moment. Yeah. You know, it's, it, if this, like every other comic book is like two heroes meet, they fight and then they become friends, right? And, and this is the first time these two met and you, and their role models, right? The, like the heads of their families are fighting each other. So it would have been very easy for Jerry Conway to say like, and then they fight for a little bit before they realize what are they doing. But it's, it's like you say, you know, they're really the heroes of this. Okay. Like we have to outthink what's happening right now. So let's, you know, let's talk about this. Um, I think that that whole thing is great. Like, you know, at the end of that scene, they literally show them shaking hands, right? Not one, not even, you know, nothing has happened between them other than an exchange of knowledge <laughs> and let's figure out what we need to do to save the world. And, 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 and exactly. That's why they came out really as the heroes of this story. They thought it out. They figured out what the plan was. They implemented the plan to, to solve the, this fight or whatever's going on. They, they were really the heroes of this story. Yeah, it's great. And we even get a uh, an explanation to who Cormor is. Yeah. Supergirl, Supergirl explains that to Mary Marvel. And there's a little detailed in the immortal Superman number 233. So I thought that by that's a Julie Schwartz note. So I thought that was funny that even by this point, that comic had been like super famous. Again, I'm sorry with the pun. Uh, had been so famous uh, that it was such a big deal. But yeah, they literally do shake hands, kind of like the Batman credit sequence, you know, with him and Robin. They just shake hands and they're like, okay, yeah. let's go on. Uh, and Again, as drawn by Rich Buckler, these two look great together. Yes. And it made me sad to think that they never did like an issue of DC Comics Presents with these two. Like give Superman the month off and just do these two. I would have loved, I would have absolutely loved to see these two in a full length team up outside of this book because they, they just look, they look great together. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, I have always said that, like, you could have a world's finest book where you could switch, switch out Batman family and Superman family members, right? Like, let's Absolutely. have, let's have one where there's Batgirl and, and Supergirl. Let's have one where there's like the Dick Grayson Robin and, you know, um, the John Kent Superboy, right? So, um. Quarmer uh, and Man Bat. Right. No, exactly. And so I, I, um, it is a shame. And there were things like Super Team Family where you got crazy team ups where you could have done it, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would have been great to see more, more interaction between those characters for sure. Yeah. They just, I, it's sometimes it's, it's when uh, until you've seen it and you, you get an issue of some DC or Marvel book and you see two characters paired together that you've just never seen before. And you're like, they look really neat together. Like that just looks, that just looks great. Uh, and, I, and I like the idea, like we already talked about that they, they kind of threw away the idea. Let's fight first. Let's have a team yep. up where we're actually going to team up. Yep. We started out by teaming up together and thinking this through. How are we going to solve problems? We have all these superpowers, but how are we going to solve problems in a different way? And that'd be the basis for the team up too. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. So then the, uh, like I said, Supergirl, Mary Marvel take off. I love that they trade villains. That's a fun detail. Yeah. Supergirl takes on Black Adam and Mary Marvel goes after Cormer. And of course, you know, um, there's the, um, there's this two page sequence where the top of the, the top of the two pages is the Supergirl fight and the bottom of the two pages is the Mary Marvel Cormer fight. And of course we see that, uh, you know, Supergirl and Black Adam 
fight toe to toe because of course he's massively powerful. And as we mentioned, Cormer is like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not a bad, you know, I'm not a bad guy. Uh, I'm actually trying, I really want to help. And uh, again, a nice turn in the story. You didn't necessarily expect that. Then we have another big two page sequence. Again, a lot of these pages will be in the gallery post chapter four, Superman, Captain Marvel round two, Superman is even madder. And <laughs> they're beating the living crap of each other. They get attacked by some jets because the jets are like, well, yeah, these, uh, I guess it's like the, you know, the U.S. Army, the Air Force or whatever. Superman smashes one of the jets. Now, Jerry Conway takes pains to show that the guys get out with their parachutes. <laughs> I, and the one guy's like, I knew this was bound to happen, but blasted. Orders are orders. Yeah. <laughs> and he says that too as he's flying in there. I don't know what this is going to do anyway, but yeah, <laughs> I got to follow orders. <laughs> That guy drew the short straw. Wait a minute. It's a Sunday. Who get, who gets to go up into the plane to shoot missiles at Superman? Oh, God. All right. <laughs> All right. I guess it's my rotation. All right. That's fine. All right. Um. So um. So then uh, we get Supergirl, and she flies over to Mars, and she sees. I love the inset panel of Cormer just watching this like it's uh, Sunday football, and he's just really enjoying himself, which kind he's of. into it. He's kind of, yeah. It sort of reflected that on that back cover where he's watching this. Like it's a TV show, you know, it's just like, oh, this is awesome. Just watching these two guys beat the living crap out of each other. And as we see, Carmang, not detail oriented. I got to say, if the, if your plan is to blow up two planets, there's a lot going on. He's he mentions in an earlier sequence that he he planned this when like the Justice League is off Earth. They're busy. All the other heroes are busy. Of course, you know, geez, maybe the Doom Control could step in or something like that, <laughs> but whatever. Um but I said, I like that sequence. And then uh, Mary Marvel uh, talks to old Shazam and he explains her explains to her that she needs help there. And then there's more destruction. Superman kept Captain Marvel knocking things over, just, you know, fighting, whatever. And then uh, old Shazam shows up in his in his ghost identity and says, you know, you have to keep this fight going. Trust me. You just have to do this. And Captain Marvel is a little like that pilot where he's like, well. Orders are orders. I guess I'll just keep doing this. So, okay. You know, I, I guess it's, if, if old Shazam is your boss, I guess you just have to do what he tells you to do. Now well, the wisdom of Shazam, the wisdom, the wisdom, I guess, told him that, uh, he needed to, he needed to listen. Right. Well, what, what I like about that is sh- Captain Marvel basically says, you know, Superman has a weakness. It's magic. I'm going to call down the lightning that would change me to Billy, but I'm going to pull Superman into it and that'll probably like, you know, kill him. Right. Um, <laughs> Which, of course, is what Alex Ross and Mark Wade did in Kingdom Come, right? And that has become like a go-to weapon, right? We even saw it in JLU in in an episode where he uses that magic lighting to fight Superman. Um, And and then, of course, like Shazam shows up and says, like, hey, don't end the fight, right? I I need this to keep going for for a certain reason. So that's probably the the origin of that attack tactic. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right? So uh, so just fascinating to see, you know, that one little panel carries forward in, in comic history and, in some pretty big ways. And and he he did actually use that before too in in um the the issue of Justice League one one thirty seven. Oh yeah, where, yeah, where that that Earth S yeah. I think he used it in there too, where he he used it a little bit differently, but he he had the lightning come down. As well, so those two were early on, and, and even in this one, he says, um, "As Black Adam tried to use that trick on me." <laughs> so, so that trick was kind of around, and this was the yeah. first time he really was going to use it to attack Superman in that way. So, yeah, it's become it used used all the time after <laughs> after Alex Ross did it. Am I wrong? Is that or is that that two parter the Superman Shazam the Earth S team up? That's in, a three. It's a three parter. Three parter. Excuse me. 
that is, isn't that the only time some of those Fawcett characters ever appeared in a DC comic, like Bullet Man and stuff, and like Pinky and Mister Scarlet? Like, wasn't that the one? Like, that was the only time they ever got used. I feel like I read that once. I don't. That it could be. Did they? I'm trying to remember. Did they? Did they ever appear in the in the Shazam the '73 Shazam I, series yeah, at all? I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I should have. I, I should have looked that up. I thought I read that once. That it was like that was it. Like they intended to use them more. Uh-huh. And then they didn't, and then they lost them again, or something, or whatever. Not that anybody is clamoring for Mister. No, and I think that's probably right because I think I read somewhere that they're they're like out of copy right now. So yeah. really, anybody could pick them up and use. Hey, them. oh jeez, oh, it's time for that. It's time for that Spy Smasher and <laughs> Spy Smasher comic to come out. And... Oh, I love Spy Smasher. Um, <laughs> so so then we're back at Castle Carmang. Supergirl and Mary Marvel break in. Carmang blasts Supergirl and knocks her out. Now. Maybe they didn't get into this, but when Superman got depowered or like not depowered, but like lesser powered in the aforementioned Superman 233, did they, did they do that for Supergirl too? Or was it always established that Supergirl was just generally lesser powered than Superman anyway? I mean, what I'll tell you is that, um, you know, in, at the end of that, Superman says, I am two thirds of the Superman that I once was. Well, however you calculate that, I mean, two thirds of infinity could still be infinity. Right. <laughs> um, ongoing in the adventure comics, because Supergirl is headlining adventure comics at that point, they have this weird thing happen where like some villain creates a pill that will rob her of her powers. And she has this period of time where she like, you know, I've lost my powers. Oh, they've come back. I've lost my powers. Uh, it's very, um, it's unsettling. She wears like a Kandorian exoskeleton for like two wow. issues. So I do think they probably said we can't have Supergirl be the most powerful person if we depowered Superman. So we're right. going to do some shenanigans. Right. Right. Of course, the the Superman being depowered, it never really stuck. Like no. I think uh, Denny O'Neill leaves uh, after six issues. The next issue starts with like Superman is taking a bath in the sun so, like, <laughs> to, to kill germs. So uh, so I don't think that and like the destruction of all kryptonite ever really stuck in any meaningful way. Gotcha. Okay. Because I I just I was a little like how does Supergirl get blasted by Carmang? Like I mean I know magic. That- I guess, I guess, well, yeah, well. He okay, kind of casts a spell by yeah. desert dust and stars, white light and whatever his. <laughs> talking like the Etrigan. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's true. It, they did kind of establish that his science was so advanced that it was essentially he, sorcery he, at a certain Yeah, point. he's he's probably an, 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 an totally equal um, to Dr. Doom in that way. You know, Carmang the Evil and Dr. Doom are, are just practically the same character because they have all this science and. And uh, and sorcery knowledge. And by the way, for those that can't see my face, that is sarcasm. Just just to be clear <laughs> on that. I... <laughs> so, but but yeah. Except when I got to that point, I was just like, wait, how? Can... Now, I mean, I know Superman gets blasted all the time in comics, and it knocks him out for like a second, you know, and then he comes back. But Supergirl really gets kind of taken out for the count uh, for a little while here. So I'm like, wow, Carmang's really kind of kind of powerful. Now, of course, if this was the JLU cartoon, we know that he just could have hit him with with her with a lightning bolt and that would have knocked her yeah. because electricity is evil. And uh, so that leads to this moment with the Superman, Captain Marvel, who are again, still fighting where Superman gets so mad that he, there's the full page shot. It's a little awkward. It's a tribute to Sal Buscema because we're looking at two crotches yeah. and it's <laughs> Superman basically using all of his muscle to knock out Captain Marvel which he does. And it's, I have to say it is awkwardly staged uh, Mm -hmm. in that we are upside down 
we see Superman and his head is tilted. Um, you again, you really have to, we know Rich Buckler had a, uh, the, by the way, rest in peace, Mr. Buckler. Um, he had a reputation for lifting things here and there or whatever, but nevertheless, obviously the man knew how to draw because trying to draw the human body from this angle, really hard, really, really hard to make it look at all realistic. And he really has to convey this is Superman not holding back. He is finally fighting somebody at his level and he's got to knock this guy out. And in fact, he does to the point where he is afraid that he's actually killed Captain Marvel. So I think it's a, it's a terrific way to kind of like, all right, they've been fighting for like 30 pages. Let's finally put the kind of, you know, let's put the capper on this. Well, like you said, you know, not only is he drawing one character from an odd angle, he's drawing two. two. Then he has to mash them together as well to convey what he's trying to convey. And it, and it does good. This is not a Sako here. No. This <laughs> is a traboom. This is yeah. like causing a sonic boom here with this particular punch. And at the bottom of the next page where he says, my, Superman says, my God, what have I done? Again, it's sort of that, that Neil Adams-y face yeah. on Superman again where he's sort of crying out, you know, what yeah. have I done? And a similar pose there, too, which again is a nice nod to, to images that would have been familiar to readers at this time. I wonder if Buckler is just like, it's now like probably 40 pages of of fist fight right and it's like you know i'm trying to keep this fresh i guess the only one i haven't done is like from below for both people right um, but it is kind of like i had to look at it for a while to say like whose fist is that <laughs> next to the cape i guess that's superman's fist but is his arm really that long right and, and where is he hitting so yeah. i agree it did, did but you, clearly you can sense this is like i am I am putting everything that I've got in this one shot. Yeah, yeah and it's I, disorienting. I mean, I, yeah. I, that, 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 even the image itself as a reader is disorienting, which makes sense for the characters to be disoriented too. Yeah. I've turned the camera in every possible way in these <laughs> last 40 pages. So, okay. Uh, so then finally, uh, Shazam shows up again, explains to Superman what the real plot is. He wakes Captain Marvel up with some, uh, like a little blast of heat vision to the face, which I like. Captain Marvel's like, ouch! <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that. Then Superman explains the whole plan and kind of what we were just talking about, about how Superman was two thirds powerful. He's obviously here. He's powerful enough to literally alter the magnet, to bolster the magnetic energy of an entire planet simply by flying around it a lot. And yes, we saw that as, as uh, Scott referred to that in the notes, it's a bit from the movie. Um, but that is, I mean, that is one of those things that I feel like they probably would have gotten rid of if his depowering had lasted because this is godlike. First of all, the science of it is like, what? But it doesn't matter. (laughs) Superman can change the magnetic poles of an entire planet just by flying around it a lot. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and he knew he could do it. I mean, you have to have the, you have to have the, apparently the knowledge. Well, I'll just fly around here and that'll change the magnetic. That'll, you know, bolster the magnetic field of the earth. Meanwhile, everybody else on the planet apparently is pinned to the ground and crushed (laughs) and airplanes falling out of the sky. (laughs) But, you know, we can just leave that to go because he's saving the world. So, you know, know, everyone's, uh, Everyone's brand new bought VHS tapes have been erased now. <laughs> yeah, right, everybody's right. Right. Now, exactly. Oh, I watched the game and now it's gone. What happened? Superman. This, this VHS, this VHS player cost me like $800. It's 1978 <laughs> for goodness sake. It's wrecked. <laughs> Why did I buy 
this copy of uh, Patton for seventy nine ninety nine, and now it's a race. I'm so mad. So, <laughs> so now we're back on Mars, and Supergirl wakes up. So, and don't don't forget about when yeah, when Captain Marvel smashes the air conditioning unit in that in that <laughs> building either. That I kept looking at it and going, yeah, Carmang the evil who developed an air conditioning unit that's going to crash two planets together. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't trust your heating and cooling guy. <laughs> Whatever you do, only call Carmang heating and cooling. <laughs> uh, so, so back up on Mars. Supergirl wakes up. She hits the self destruct button because there is one of those in every computer. It has every computer has a self destruct button. Rich Buckler was great at drawing beautiful women. Just what he his women looked gorgeous. And I, I, I'm not looking, I don't look at these things in a, in a sort of purient way because I just don't, but there's this one pose that he does of Supergirl where she's about to hit the self-destruct button, which is like a pretty saucy pose where he's got yeah. like her hips are jutting out. And I just was like, I think that was him just having a little bit of fun of drawing two women in short shorts that are <laughs> young, beautiful women. Uh, he's, you know, he kept it pretty family friendly, but that pose just feels like extra purient a little. I mean, am I, am I just a stupid old pervert? I mean, what am I, am I the only one seeing that? Oh, I saw that same. I know exactly. I knew exactly what, what pose and what panel you were talking about. You saw yeah. cause I saw the same thing. It was, it was, and again, for this comic and this issue is fairly provocative. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's sort of like bent at the waist a little bit yeah. and, and sort of like a come hither sort of look. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and, and of course, if you, if you, you know, this is like short shorts, halter top, plunging neckline, Supergirl, you know, drawn by Art Saf, not Kurt Schaffenberger anymore. There's a lot of, you know, this time in her career is very uh, cheesecakey. Right. Okay. Right. So that was the only panel that I was like, wow. All right, Rich, you really he's kind of enjoying himself. I, I do have to say it's funny where she's like, I'm going to use some reverse psychology here. Like, yeah. I'm going to turn off this button, which will turn off your device. And he's like, not that one. It'll blow up my <laughs> castle. Oh, look what you told me. <laughs> because it has to be one of these two. <laughs> a little bit silly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so she rescues Mary Marvel and, uh, the, then there's the epilogue. And now they had established earlier, I didn't mention this in the, in the synopsis, but they mentioned earlier that Mary Marvel, when she got a look at Superman, thought he was the bee's knees. She was like, man, he is, uh, he is one hunk of superhero. And though she decides to flirt with Superman and she kind of like does this little like flick of his chin, I guess, a little bit. And Superman, even though he's a grown man, uh, is like, huh? <laughs> and is like, blah, 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 blah. you know, he's like, uh, Bob Hope, you know, in a 1940s comedy or something. And then, so not only that, Mary Marvel, um, dives at Superman and wraps her arms around his head. And then Supergirl is like, well, I don't like that. And so she does the same thing to Captain Marvel. Mary Marvel gets upset, breaks them up, wags her finger at Captain Marvel. It's a fun wrap up. It feels a little. I don't want to judge this too harshly. It feels a little retrograde considering how well Supergirl and Mary Marvel have been presented to this point as very capable, very level-headed characters. Independent. Independent. Yeah. And now they're kind of acting a little bit like lo- love-struck calves. I think. But it, again, I don't want to take it too seriously. It's just kind of a fun way to end the story. Well, it doesn't really end the entire story. So you think they're going to end on a joke, and then there's the last panel of Marvel. Right. But yeah. suffer for all eternity, <laughs> Oh, right. So but our heroes are walking off into the sunset. Yeah. Having yeah. Yeah. Joke. yeah. Right. They're, they're off to get a, uh, some malteds together. Meanwhile, Carmag is in torment for all of eternity. So, all right. 
<laughs> All right, everybody. Well, go away, close the comic and go watch some cartoons or something. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, poor Carmang. Uh, he's trapped with the ghost for all of eternity. Now, did I don't know? Did Supergirl not? I guess Supergirl didn't think that she was going to do that, doing that to Carmang by blowing it up, right? I mean, she super, Superman characters don't kill people. Yeah, I, I mean, if you think about it, like the whole reason why Shazam says keep the fight going is so that Superman will almost kill Captain Marvel, and the fact that he almost killed Captain Marvel is what, like, what shocks him out of this like rage. Um, uh, you know, because we don't kill, but. But yeah, I, I, maybe she thought that since he had so much magic that he would be able to save himself in some sort of way. Uh, hopefully she didn't do it on purpose. Uh, I don't think so. Well, That's yeah. And her. she, yeah, she kind of did the nana, nana, nana. Like I pushed the button. <laughs> I have super speed. I'm going to get Mary Marvel and you're on your own. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Like, like you're going to get killed. It was sort of like, you know, I'm just going to leave you to your own devices. You, you set this up. You're going to have to figure it out. So. Carmen, yeah, in modern he, parlance, Carmang effed around and found out. Yeah, well, right, you know, it's exactly. funny. He says, you know, uh, maybe this is slightly different where he says, you know, it will send us all into limbo. So maybe yeah. she was like, oh, he'll be alive in like a Phantom Zone type, you know, prison <laughs> of his own creation, right? So yeah. still alive, suffering. Yeah. And we know that the <laughs> Superman characters are fine with that. We know yeah. that that's perfectly okay with them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it is. It's and besides, a- and besides, he'll escape at some point anyway. Well, right? Uh, yeah. Except for well, Carmen, no. apparently he did not. Yeah, he's so. still there as far as as of this recording. He is still in, yeah. in a permanent a permanent limbo. Yeah, it is a very kind of goofy, silly, and you can almost see this ending on like the Shazam cartoon kind of thing or the Superman cartoon. That, you know, at the time, it is a very kind of teenagery thing even though these are superman's a grown man for so supergirl's a grown woman and mary marvel's a uh, an older a young woman at the very least uh but but okay and then again we get this panel poor carmang and torment and so that's the end of the story and then um there is a one-page inner editorial by e nelson birdwell now uh Ange, does your version have this in the collection the answer is no. Yes. Okay. So I can't wait to hear about it. Okay. Well, I'll hold it up to the camera. Nobody else can see this, but the guys can yeah. see this. This is Ian Nelson Bridwell. It is about the courtroom battle between Superman and Captain Marvel. And it talks about them back and forth and, you know, the rooms. And then <laughs> there's this point where, um, it, it Nelson Bridwell mentions, he says, uh, finally in 1972, an agreement was reached by which DC would actually bring Captain Marvel back into print. Because of another legal technicality, the name of the old wizard Shazam would be given to the magazine title. Gone was the animosity of the 40s. The two publishers would both cash in on the world's mightiest Marvel. That's kind of a nice way of saying it. Uh, when you put somebody out of business and then they fold and they give you all their assets, I guess you could say the animosity is over on one side of it. Uh, but then he says, there, on the cover of a number of issues of Captain Marvel Adventures were stamped the words, Plaintiff's Exhibit. Carelessly, the court had mixed up the magazines used in the trial, and some exhibits furnished by DC had wound up in the Fawcett files. Now they were back at DC, this time not trying to kill the big red cheese, but helping in reviving him. That feels a little like rubbing their face in the dirt a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we we kind of forced you out of business, and now we own your characters. And oh, by the way, uh, we have all your old comics too at the, here at the office. So note to self, note to the reader, we won. <laughs> so yeah. it's basically, basically what that, what that is. Yeah. It's a little like, and, yeah, well, right. not only that, he says, he also says, do I detect old Shazam smiling from his throne on the rock of eternity? 
Can it be that in the end, Superman and Captain Marvel both won? And knowing is half the battle. Yes. <laughs> I feel like Yay, that's capitalism, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's that Thor gift. You know, is it, is it, you know, I don't know. Um, so, okay. That is Superman, Superman versus Shazam. So big. Hey, Rob, picture. Rob, can yes. we add yes. one other thing too? Oh, of course. We forgot to mention on the inside of the front cover, which Ange probably does not have. I don't know if you have this as well. They sort of gave a, a comparison of, of Superman and right. Captain Marvel. So they kind of went through and did who their secret identities are, their origins, their home bases, um, age groups, bosses, family and stuff. So it was just kind of a neat little once over summary of the characters themselves, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I would guess most readers probably knew that, but again, as they were trying to reintroduce Captain Marvel into the DC pantheon, um, it was kind of neat to read that as well. Oh, absolutely. Although, although I was a, write this stuff in his sleep. Yeah. Although I was a little offended by the arch nemesis um, with the bald scientist, Lex <laughs> Luthor and the bald scientist, Dr. <laughs> Thaddeus Savannah were the arch enemies. I don't know if that was really a relevant detail. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I took a little offense to that, so <laughs> I'm not that mad about it. Uh, I, mean, I didn't get offended. Quit it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ange has no no issues with it. Yeah, no. Ange with his luxurious head of hair uh, has no problem with, with any of that. I love. I do love. Uh, you mentioned it, Scott. Romantic interests. Lois Lane. That's it. Yep. <laughs> That's it. No, nope, nobody else. We we don't even going to go anywhere else because we all know what that. That's is Lois Lane. Is she's reading this? It's Lois Lane. Everybody. So okay. Um. Big picture, guys. Scott, I'll start with you. What did you think of this as a story, as just a 72 page? By the way, where do comic books, how do comic books define the word novel? Novels are not 72 pages by any stretch of the imagination. They're not novels. That is not a novel. But okay, that's the same thing. But as a big, like, now you've read this, you know, you've read the story again as just a big comic book team up adventure. What did you think of this story? I loved it. I loved it. I thought, I thought it had the epic feel that it needs to have for this format of book certainly i like that it brought the two universes together and it brought in some characters and again me rereading it i I was not reading this in 1970s but to see some characters the main characters were superman captain marvel mary marvel and supergirl they were the main characters so many times now i feel like the villains become the main characters everybody's an anti-hero and everybody really has a sad story look Carmang was just Carmang the evil. He, I mean, let's just face it. He, he wasn't an anti-hero. He was Car- Carmang the evil. That was it. And that was his plan. And he, he selected a couple people to do his bidding. And one of them, Cormer, turned out to sort of be, I won't even call him an anti-hero because he was just sort of a hero. He was, he was an antagonist in a way, but he wasn't, never was evil. Ever was he portrayed and he was used in a different way here. Um, and I love the fact that we got the bruising battle between Captain Marvel and Superman. That was the physical part they wanted to see, but that Mary Marvel and Supergirl were really the ones that I felt were the heroes of this story, too. So I loved it. I loved it all. Excellent. Ange? Yeah, I'll say uh, I'll mirror a lot of those thoughts. I think that, you know, comic book fans like to say, like, who would win, you know, the thing versus the Hulk? Who would win Thor versus Silver Surfer? And so, like, I'm sure at this point when Shazam and Captain Marvel are starting to come back into DC Comics, the question was, who would win if they would fight? And so that probably was the impetus for this. And we got 40 so, you know, like, we got a lot of pages of these two going toe-to-toe, and they make a point of saying, you know, well, on Earth-1, Captain Marvel is going to slowly do power, and that may be why he loses, right? So right. you don't kind of get a, a, a straight answer who would win, but boy, you can see these two would go at it. And 
that was kind of all they did. You know, they the the we'll save the earth is you know six panels. Their their job in this is to fight each other, and it is Supergirl and Mary Marvel that are like these are adjuncts to the family, and they're really the big heroes here. And oh by the way, we'll bring in two people who kind of look like Captain Marvel and, and Superman as villains to sort of like help boast about. They're also part of this family, so it it truly was like a pretty in depth look at these two families and their legends. Um, um, Carmang is weird. It, you know, it ends like we'll punch an air conditioner and we'll hit a button that's a self-destructive. Like the, the ending is kind of goofy, but the story that leads up to that, I think is, is pretty awesome. Uh, I have a, no complaints. There are a lot of great concepts in here. And, and this was definitely executed in the 1970s from the stuff that as Ann said, there's some goofiness, but the concept is actually pretty good. I mean, don't even get me started, Juan, if he needed two planets. Why didn't he just go off into space, find two uninhabited planets to crash together? Yeah. I mean, instead, I'm going to go to where all these heroes are. I'm going I'm to go do that. But, I didn't, but, I but didn't again, even think of that. But again, uh, the execution is one thing. we got to get to the story. But but the concept, <laughs> I liked very much. <laughs> just go a couple planets down. Yeah, yeah, yes. We're just going to head over. We're gonna, you know. Uranus and Neptune or something. Yeah, Nobody's yeah. going to care about those. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Well, you know, Carmang. Okay. Th- that and the whole thing about the magnetic fields drawing the planets together. Again, Earth 1 and Earth S are in different dimensions. I don't think yeah. the magnetic pole would be the <laughs> the thing. Yeah. But again, that's all sort of irrelevant. That's The concept was was interesting. Yeah. It's it's said it's it's a nice it's a big screen adventure you know it's what it was meant for it's dc was you know trying to you know really move these treasuries by putting lots of you know the new material commissioning a 72 page story by their big talents and uh on that on that level it works and pretty much all of these superman versus whoever fights all of them are really good we've done superman versus wonder woman that was a great book superman versus muhammad ali a classic Superman versus Spider-Man, like the ultimate treasury classic for Pete's sakes. I mean, it's absolutely marvelous. Um, we haven't gotten to the Superman versus Rudolph book. We'll get to that at some point, probably <laughs> yeah. for, for Christmas. But uh, yeah, I remember buying this off the stands. I thought it was great. It it holds up. It's just big screen adventure, beautifully drawn by Buckler and Giordano, who we've talked about is like the closest to the in-house DC style I ever had with Dick Giordano. So uh, it's it's really fun. And I love that Supergirl and Mary Marvel are involved in it as much as they are. I think it gives it an added... It's a, as you say, you guys said, they're the heroes of this story because Superman and Shazam are too busy with their red faces beating each other up, you know, yeah. to be the really the heroes. And so um, it's absolutely terrific. And, you know, DC has been reprinting a lot of their treasuries, not a lot, but a few of their treasuries in this hardcover format. They did the Bible. They did Superman versus Muhammad Ali. They did the amazing world of Superman. Oddly enough, uh, they did Superman versus Wonder Woman. They have not done this one yet. You would think with a Shazam movie coming out, this would kind of have a natural tie in. You would think this would be one that would be on the schedule. I know they got to pay royalties to Conway and, and I guess the estate of Rich Buckler and the estate of Rick Dick Giordano, but it can't be that expensive to reprint this and put it out in a hardcover and pick up a few sales from people who are interested in the Shazam movie. Well, it seems like a natural thing to do. And it's getting toward holiday season too. I mean, I mean, they they should, I mean, they should have had that on the plan on the schedule. Then you set some of them up next to the toys that are going to be sold with all that stuff. And you set some up, I mean, books, I mean, it just makes sense that they would do that. It would seem to make good marketing. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so, Shazam yeah. movie, Black Adam movie, Supergirl, yeah. Supergirl has become um, a bigger entity with her television show yes. and things like that. Mary Marvel is headlining her own book right now. Like, there's lots of reasons that, yeah. that this would be a good sell. All sorts of tie-ins to this. So, DC, if you're listening, and I hope you are, do this. <laughs> do this as a hardcover edition. I'll buy a copy, even though I have this one right here. I will buy the $20 edition or whatever it is that you, you charge for this thing. So, well, guys... Thank you so much for doing this, Scott. Thank you for making your appearance, your, your debut on Treasury Cast. I think you're on your way to a Robbie, by the way. Andrew already has one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, again, that's I know that's like your you know doctorate, and then the Robbie is right below that. I know that that's yeah. how it works for you, yep. uh, Ange. Um, so, guys, thank you both for doing this. This was a blast. We recorded together on the MASHcast uh, table read, and now this is our second kind of group effort. And I've really been enjoying these kind of doing uh, yeah. our own versions of the fire and water team ups and smashing the guest hosts together and seeing if they fight. Yes. Worlds collide. Worlds collide. We sat down and talked it out though, versus the, that's the, right. the battle. So that's always nice when it works. That exactly. Way. So which uh, diploma can I touch on your wall, Scott, that will destroy your house. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so <laughs> don't touch that one. <laughs> no, not that one. Not the one with the big red button on it. Um, so uh, before we sign off, Scott, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, you can typically find me um, on my Twitter handle at the mind of Scott X, where I will unabashedly spam your feed on Saturday nights, tweeting uh, Sven Gulli and sci-fi Saturday night. And at other times um, I will tweet other things as well related to comic books, movies, pop culture. Um, that's probably the best place to find me out in the world. All right. And what about you? Uh, I run a Supergirl fan site called Comic Box Commentary, but I do a lot of reviews of Superman uh, in general stuff uh, and uh, comics that come out on Wednesdays. I will often have one to review, and I'm very active on Twitter at Dr. Inch 70 where I talk a lot about comics, but also movies, things I'm baking, uh, hiking, <laughs> uh, and variety of other topics. If you, it's, in, it's unfortunate that you cannot search Twitter by avatar, because <laughs> then you could just put in Quarmer, and yours would be the only account that shows up. I am but a thing cast in the shape of Superman. <laughs> you, you know there's going to be a rash of Quarmer-related Twitter accounts now out there because we, we've probably got the ball rolling. Now. Yeah, we're going to bring some heat to this character. and uh, yeah. Well, no, yeah, then that might actually be one Twitter handle that Rob doesn't have yet. So, you know, <laughs> take, take it while you can get it, people. Give me a sec. Hold on. Wait a minute. Let me, let me sign up. Uh, <laughs> shoot, they need say... the same phone number. I know that we're wrapping up, but there, you know, Walt Simonson revisited the Sand Superman in a Superman special in like yes. the 90s. Yep. The Sand Superman came back in like one of those stupid like futures end, worlds end, one of those sort of things. It's, it, it's one of those things, much like Wonder Woman's white suit that gets retread every so often. Somebody, <laughs> somebody tries it out every now and again to see if it sticks. Yeah. Yeah, oh, interesting. And well, as we know from the Star Wars movie, sand sticks on everything. So, uh, again, <laughs> guys. <laughs> guys thanks so much for doing this this was an absolute blast and uh, everybody stay tuned i'm going to run some podcast promos and when i come back i'm going to do some listener feedback hey everyone my name is michael bailey and i like superman like a lot like he's my favorite character I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called It All Comes Back to Superman to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. 
Well, the monthly thing hasn't worked out, but I'm hoping to change that in 2020. This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. New episodes will drop in the first or second week of the month, with special episodes popping up at random, because that's how I roll, apparently. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of BaileyTube podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbaileytube.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you yet. Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part assholes, they came to be known as the Fanholes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the Fanholes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanholes soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast, made for the fans, by the fans. And now it's time for listener feedback, and these are the comments we got on the previous episode of Treasure Cast, number 73, with my guest Alex Ross. First up is fellow network all-star Paul Kian, who says, Great episode, Rob. I was not aware that this book was a sequel to Fantastic Four number 51, which is also my favorite single-issue FF story, as you guys talk about. I am now even more looking forward to my copy when it arrives. I found the conversation about Alex's process creating the book as both writer and artist fascinating. Love the story of the creation of the actual costumes. Thanks for fleshing that out. Thank you, Paul. Next up is Edo Boznar, who says, What a great show. Like I said, when Alex appeared on Treasury Cast previously, I love listening to comic creators talk about their process and also the stories they liked and or that inspired them, and this one did not disappoint. I am really interested in reading this new Fantastic Four story. The art samples on the gallery page look well, fantastic, and yes, I like the homage or callback to the wonky coloring that Ross mentioned. Otherwise, Rob, I think at this point you're going to have to find some way to get every owner of a Flash Gordon pinball machine to appear on one of your shows, although Treasury Cast would be preferable. Uh, that's a fun idea, you know? I mean, I could get um, Sam Jones over on Film and Water and maybe Brian May over on Pod Dylan. Maybe he's a Bob Dylan fan. I'll have to look into that. Uh, also, uh, another network all-star, Chris Franklin, says, Great interview, Rob. I'm very much looking forward to getting Fantastic Four full circle. And after listening to this episode, I double-checked with my LCS to make sure they had me a copy saved. The art looks gorgeous, of course, but I'm very intrigued at how Ross is stretching, no pun intended, his style. The flat Dago color, color patterns also invoke Ben Cooper slash Collegeville Halloween costumes. So my brain's nostalgic pleasure centers are firing all over the place. The origin sequence is a wonderful addition for us fans of Ross's DC tabloids. And I love that his main figure of costume read is an homage to FF number 82, which I know is his favorite FF cover. Thanks to his 13th dimension article last week. 
Always a pleasure and an honor to have Mr. Ross drop by our network, and you never fail to impress with your interviewing prowess. Thank you, Chris. Matt Saroy says, well, uh, I was waiting for my copy to arrive in the mail, and I listened, although apparently that wasn't necessary. Anyway, oh my lord, this is a thing of beauty. Alex Ross really went full throttle Jack Kirby. This is just amazing. It's absolutely electric. This may be his best work ever. This was a great episode as well. It's nice to get such an in-depth behind-the-scenes making of a comic book, especially when it's fresh from the creator himself. I'm so happy this format of comic book has returned. Yes, DC brought it back a few years ago, but it's not quite the same thing. They're multi-issue stories for an adult audience. This is for everyone. Can't wait to see what's next. Me too, Matt. Uh, Mike Dinah says, excellent interview, Rob. What a treat to hear from Mr. Ross again, and he does not disappoint. I loved hearing his process on bringing the book to life, and I can't wait until I can go to my a local comic shop to pick up a copy. It was incredibly interesting to hear how Alex Ross, the writer, had to deal with Alex Ross, the artist, and his waiting, uh, a writing of a script, thumbnailing it and dialoguing the story. This book looks like it will be amazing. I almost said fantastic edition of the collection. And you both own Flash Gordon pinball machines? You guys are basically twinsies. I can't wait to hear what the next project will be for Mr. Ross. And yes, hopefully he will announce it on your network. Keep up the great work. Uh, that's probably not going to happen, Mike. But uh, yes, I look forward to whatever it is. Uh, Alex uh, has on his uh, metaphorical drawing table. I guess, well, Alex, it's a literal drawing table. Yes, it's, it's it will be exciting to see what, what's coming next. Uh, fellow network all sorts. Cisco says, I love it when artists talk about technique and process. So this was another winner for me. Thank you, Cisco. Matt Ev says, fantastic episode, Rob. Really great to hear Alex Ross talking about his influences and process. Just fascinating. I'll definitely be picking up the new book. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Very much up my street. My ears perked up as he mentioned the weirdly colored British reprints. I've got some old UK FF annuals, but their colors are pretty faithful to the original. However, I have a kind of comic compendium called POW from 1970, which features reprints of Sgt. Fury, Spider-Man, British humor strips like Swats and The Blots, okay, Grimly Fiendish, who is basically Gru from Despicable Me, and The Cloak versus Blubber Man, plus a very weirdly recolored FF. Not as pretty or psychedelic as the examples Alex showed, but an interesting artifact. Red FF costumes, a gray thing, and a brown invisible man. But the flat, limited colors do make for some nice cosmic abstract stuff, too. Interesting. Thanks, Matt. And finally, Brett Young says, terrific podcast, Rob. I'm a big fan of Alex Ross's work, and I was thrilled to know he was doing a project in a more traditional comic book style. I've only seen a few pages, but it looks amazing. A great tribute to Kirby. Your chat with Alex was great. It's always good to hear when a talented artist seems to be a nice guy, too. I'll definitely be picking this up. I hope you do, Brett. It's absolutely worth it. So uh, thanks so much for the comments, everybody. I really appreciate that. Of course, it was an amazing episode to do with Alex, and I'm very honored that he came back to the show to talk about his new project. And uh, also, big thanks to Dr. Ange and Scott X for coming by and discussing Superman versus Shazam for this episode of Treasury Cast. That was an enormous blast. So uh, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find back episodes of the show on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking treasuries over on Twitter at Treasury Comics. And finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pollier, Brett Young, and new Patreon supporter Mark Balbus. Really appreciate that, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for your support. I really appreciate it. So we will see you next month. But until then, go big or go home. What's going on? My best bud in the whole world. And also new kids that I'm meeting for the first time, but seem very cool. Uh, I invited another friend. I hope that's okay.